gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hey gang, and welcome to episode 63 of Superman in the Bronze Age. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. Are you looking for a good deal on some comic trades? Then head over to InStockTrades.com. A mainstay of the collected edition market, InStockTrades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship all at great discounted prices and most orders ship within 48 hours and orders over $50 ship for free find them on the web at www.instocktrades.com and be sure to follow Instock Trades on Twitter and you'll receive notices on deals of the week now that the holidays are around the corner this is a great site to do some holiday shopping alright now that we're finished with that and since there's no emails or comments to read I'm going to go ahead and play a couple promos, and we'll be right back with today's Superman adventure. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. I won't let you get away with this! From here on out, everything changes. Learn what happens when you mess with the most powerful being in the universe! Please go! In the wake of the battle with Frieza, and the destruction of planet Namek, a new threat comes to terrorize Earth. The androids. The sleeper has awakened. I am the prince of all Saiyans once again. Stay out of this one, Vegeta. He's mine. A young man with long black hair and a scarf tied around his neck. And 18. Female. Blonde. Not unattractive. Those are the worst villains the Earth will ever know. Starting in December, and continuing throughout the entirety of 2013, 
Join Donovan and Jesse as they chronicle Dragon Ball Z's most prominent sagas and battles. From the vicious villains. I'm bored. It's time for you to die. And the heroic good guys. I won't let you leave Earth till I make you pay for what you've done! Who are always... Bring it on! Always screaming. Kaioken Dimestead! <laughs> Wait! It's the legend! Soon you will be at his mercy. What mercy? You'll die! The Next Dimension. dbznextdimension.libson.com you're about to find out what it's like to fight a real Super Saiyan. And I'm not talking about Goku. My name is Steve Lacey, and I'm a podcaster. The randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me, listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20 Minute Long Box. The 20 Minute Long Box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com, the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com, or search for 20 Minute Long Box on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, Superman 283. This issue had a cover date of January 1975 and a release date of October 15, 1974, with a cover price of 25 cents. The first story of this issue is Superman's Mystery Masquerade, written by Carrie Bates, with art by Kurt Swan and Bob Oxner, and edited by Julia Schwartz. Superman flies in from, I don't know where, presumably a job for Superman, and lands at the penthouse apartment of Dr. Vant. At this point, the doctor is in the midst of giving an interview to Lois Lane, complaining about how, ever since we got to the moon, NASA's funding has been cut by millions, and the space race has skidded to a slow crawl. He believes that if he were in control, humans could be exploring other solar systems by the year 2000. All it would take is all the major powers to pull their resources into one massive program, as well as many billions of dollars. You know, just small things. By this point, Superman has changed to Clark and introduces himself to Dr. Vant. However, Dr. Vant has to cut the interview short because he must attend a matter that cannot wait. So Clark and Lois leave, but once outside the building, Clark's superhearing detects the tick-tock sound of a time bomb somewhere in the vicinity. Spotting a man trying to hail a cab across the street, uh, Clark uses his super ventriloquism to make it sound like the guy is calling for Lois to give her a big scoop. While she runs off to try to get the story, Clark runs into a nearby alley, changes to Superman, and takes to the skies. However, what he thought was a bomb was actually the mechanism of a jet sculpture from the roof of the Radio Control Aircraft Company, which has been fitted with a rocket engine. It takes off and erupts with a harmless fireworks display. So, we next see Superman fly off to the Metro Stock Exchange, where he changes to a secret identity of Chris Delbart. Yes, Chris Delbart. Delbart, the Wolf of Wall Street. 
We then follow Chris for the rest of the day as he is greeted by people in the halls, finishes his work day, heads home to his apartment at the Royal Arms, gets his mail, and watches some TV while eating dinner, and then goes to bed. The next morning at the Galaxy Communications building, Lois is trying to find out from Clark where he was all day. This after he also got grilled by Morgan Edge earlier in the morning. Clark just says that something personal came up and that he can't talk about it, which upsets Lois enough that she leaves his office. Just in time, too, as Clark needs to make a, a quick change to Superman and fly up after a skyscraper spire which has just taken off like a rocket. As he follows the spire, he hears a tape-recorded message, and we, see, we soon see the Man of Steel returning to Dr. Van's penthouse apartment, where the Doctor reveals that he knows that Superman is Chris Delbart, and will announce it to the world unless Superman helps him. But first, he feels he needs to explain how he found out Superman's secret. Apparently, Dr. Van had invented a device he called the Sensoscanner. After luring Superman into action with the jet sculpture the day before, the Senso Scanner was able to follow Superman wherever he went, allowing the good doctor to see and hear everything the Man of Steel did, including his time as Chris Delbart. As for why, he wants Superman to take him to Mars, specifically the area where the unmanned Viking spacecraft is due to land in 1976. He wants to plant some periscopes, antenna, and solar screens to make it look like there is life on Mars, which he believes will start up a new space race. Superman is against the whole thing, calling it criminal, but agrees to do to help him out in order to save his identity. So a short time later, Superman and Vant land on Mars, and Vant was not able to see anything during the trip due to a necessary sun visor protection. But once Superman says it's safe to remove it, Van is in awe of the sight before him. Superman then tells him he needs to get used to it, because now that Van knows his secret, the Man of Steel is just going to leave him there. Then Superman takes off. That's it. Scared, Van pleads for Superman to return, even promising not to reveal his secret. But then, a large Martian monster pops up from underground and starts chasing Van at least until he runs off the quote-unquote set and realizes that he's still on Earth. Apparently, Superman had arranged for Dr. Vant to test out the new Marsland amusement park currently under construction in Metropolis. It was all fake. Next, we get Superman changing back to Clark and explaining via Thought Balloon how he tricked Vant. Apparently, he could feel the photons of Vant's sensoscanner scanning him, and he used his supervision to follow the beam back to its source. Seeing what was going on, Superman moved at super speed to borrow some ugly 1970s attire, plus a wig and mustache, and used super ventriloquism to make it sound like people were talking to him as Chris. As for the apartment, Superman looked around with x-ray vision until he found one where the owner was out for a few days, where he could spend the night as if he lived there. More on that in a minute. While Clark finishes gloating, Dr. Vant arrives at the apartment of Chris Delbart, anxious to see the look on his face when he reveals that he sent letters to all the major newspapers, revealing that he's secretly Superman. However, the door is answered by an elderly woman, who reveals that she's, she is Christina Delbart, giving Vant the shock of his life. Um, okay, uh, let me do notes first. On page one... It's really cool that it starts off like an episode of the 50s show by noting that this is another thrill-packed episode in The Amazing Adventures of Superman, which is actually something that they were running at the top of the cover of all the, super, of the Superman title at this time, with it being The Amazing World of Superman. 
So that was cool. Uh, pages two and three. All of Vance's complaints about the space race and everything were actually probably real at the time. Um, but they would, and that would be for the real world. They wouldn't really be for the DCU, where the planet is literally covered in aliens, including our own Man of Steel. So, ugh, more on that in a minute, too. Page four. Have I mentioned how much I hate superventriloquism? Page five. This is a funny scene, though, as the guy thinks Lois is coming on to him, so he gives her his number, which Lois promptly tears up. Page 8. Apparently Superman was not needed for the rest of the day, which is ironic since technically it would have been much easier for him to get away at this point, uh, since no one even really knew he was there, uh, than it is, you know, when he's Clark. Also, have I mentioned how much I hate superventriloquism? Page 9. Lois mentions that she has given up suspecting Clark was Superman, which is pretty good because... Other than this Chris Delbart stuff, Clark hasn't done a very good job of protecting his secret identity this issue, such as just flying out before Lois has the door closed, apparently, and earlier when he did the whole super ventriloquism thing, and just kind of up and left. Page 11. Um, the Martian Manhunter was on Earth for several years and was part of the Justice League, so he's pretty well known, so shouldn't that tell people that they're is, or at least was, life on Mars. Vant doesn't need to be going up there with periscopes and solar screens. I mean, come on. Uh, page 13. The art here is kind of confusing. Uh, this is where Vant is running out of the Marsland amusement park and onto the construction area, and it appears that he's run through a wall without causing any damage. So, Either he actually fell off of a higher spot, which is kind of weird th considering that he wouldn't have seen that it was Earth, or maybe he's the Flash. I don't know. Either one sounds just as plausible. Page 14. Okay, so Superman, who can't feel bullets, can feel photons touching him? Highly doubt that. Then, he borrowed some clothes. Notice he didn't buy them. Borrowed them and these clothes came from a costume shop, which means that they are high quality, uh, hung around in a strange office building, apparently pretending to work, without anyone noticing, apparently, uh, then squatted at a stranger's apartment. Okay, which brings up two more things. Number one, how did he get keys to, to check Chris Delbert's mail? Because he's shown with a handful of keys, and he's opening the mailbox. Uh, and two, did he have to redecorate at super speed so that the apartment didn't look like it belonged to an old woman? Yeah. And how creepy is it that he's just living in someone else's apartment for the night? That is wrong on so many levels. I just... Okay. Um, overall, I thought this was a crazy story that probably would have fit in just fine in the Silver Age. However, the art was really good. Uh, including little details like having Dr. Vant remove his glasses and check the cleanliness of the lens while he was talking to Superman. It's not something you normally see, and I doubt it was in the script, so it's just one of those little things that uh, Kurt Swan was really good at putting in there. Uh, and that's about it, and hopefully I don't have to mention superventriloquism for a couple episodes at least. Uh, so now we're going to move on. Uh, we've got a couple more promos, and I'll get back with the second story of this issue. 
Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Twenty-seven years ago, the planet Krypton was destroyed. An infant boy and his cousin survived and have found a refuge here on Earth. But they were not alone. Another scion of the House of El has arrived. Why is he here? What is his purpose? And how will Cal El and Kara Zorel respond when faced with El on Earth? The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a podcast that covers the current adventures of Superman and his family of characters. Join John Wilson, J. David Weeder, and guest host Charlie Niemeyer as they review and discuss this latest crossover adventure. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is available on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, and our second story is One of Our Imps is Missing. Story written by Elliot S. Magan, with art by Kurt Swan and Bob Oxner, and edited by Julie Schwartz. And there's some funky names in this one, so please bear with me. Uh, in the fifth dimensional land of Zerf, Officer Gerfelsnick, a finder of missing imps, informs a magistrate that he has found the missing Mixius Pitalik. Unfortunately, they can't go after him because the ruling council has forbidden interdimensional travel for six and seven-eighths time cycles. Why can't they just do seven? I don't know. Uh, so the magistrate gives him permission to do the next best thing. Up in the North Polar regions, an intruder alert goes off inside Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Which is odd, because Superman has been in the fortress, and this would mean that someone snuck in while he was there. Which is supposed to be impossible anyway. It turns out that it was just Officer Gerfliznik, uh, using his fifth-dimensional magic to write out a message to Superman in Superman's massive secret diary. Noting that Mixie should be arriving on third-dimensional Earth today, Superman heads to the monitoring room where, almost immediately, he starts getting calls of statues coming alive in Washington, D.C. So the Man of Steel flies out to D.C. and arrives just in time to save a few senators from being crushed by statues of past senators who have come to take back their place in the Senate. Mixias Pitalik shows up to gloat, but before Superman can lay a hand on him, he uses his magic to bring a painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware River to life, flooding the Capitol building in the process. While Superman is busy rescuing the congressman, Mixias Pitalik heads to the Lincoln Memorial and animates the statue of Abraham Lincoln. Superman speeds down and becomes a stepping stone for Lincoln, preventing the statue from crushing anyone or anything on its way to the Capitol. 
Fortunately, once it's there, Lincoln is stopped by the then-current senator from Illinois, and while they're talking and catching up about the land of Lincoln, Superman returns to Mixius Pitalik, who doesn't understand what the big deal is about Lincoln. So after firing his heat vision at a wall, Superman points out that he gave the Gettysburg Address, which is inscribed on that wall. Mixius Pitalik, with his anything-he-can-do-I-can-do-better attitude, decides that he can, do, he can give the speech better and starts reading the speech out loud. But Superman had used his heat vision to change the work, the work, to change the word nation to Celtipsism, which Mixias Pitalik doesn't realize until it's too late, and he reads it out loud. So Mixias Pitalik is sent back to Zerf, and the effects of his visit fade away like they never happened. And Superman flies off, realizing that it had been a while since he'd seen the imp, and he had kind of missed him. Okay, my notes for this one. Uh, not too many because this is a short story, but page one. I like how the big similarities between Earth and Zerf are that there are elections and people play golf. Yeah. they don't Usually golf isn't one of the things you use when you compare Earth to anything. So, uh, However, I do need to take issue with the colorist of this story, and I don't know who it is because there's no credit for it. Uh, but... The inside of the fortress is yeah. The inside of the fortress is carved in a mountain of snow and ice. Traditionally, it's white, uh, both before and after this story. Therefore, the interior of the fortress should not be colored brown like it's in a cave. On the plus side, it is consistently colored brown in the like it's in a cave, so I can't be too upset. I guess. Page four. It's amazing how much water can come out of just one painting. Again, though, I take issue with the colorist because the statue of Abraham Lincoln is also white, not brown or gold as colored here. However, again, at least the colorist is staying consistent in coloring the same color throughout the story. Overall, I found this to be a fun little story. I was amazed that it was only six pages since it seems like so much happens, and there didn't seem to be any kind of pacing problems in this one either. It seemed to run pretty, uh, read pretty nicely. Uh, strange, though, that all the statues knew exactly who they were when Mixias Pitalik himself didn't. But I'm thinking that if I think too much about it, I'm probably going to break my brain again. So I'm just going to chalk it up to magic and move on. Uh, the art is very nice. Uh, once again, uh, Swan does a good job of getting everything crammed into just six pages without looking, making it look like it's crammed. I do wonder if any of the senators were actually photo-referenced, at least the Illinois senators, since he's drawn pretty large and clearly. Um, and I'm kind of wondering about the statues as well. Uh, Lincoln sort of resembles Lincoln, but, you know, there's that would be easier to look at without, or to draw without even really looking at any reference than the others so I'm actually wondering how much reference was used. Also I should point out that uh, this story is from like I said uh, issue 283 so this is before the man or superman story arc this is the first time Mixias Pitalik shows up in the what is known as the Bronze Age so when Superman says it's been a while it's been about four years so yeah, it's a pretty long time. In fact, the last page of the book says that if you want to see um, more Mixias Pitalik, write in and let them know. And uh, apparently people wrote in and let them know because he does come back 
quite a bit. Uh, as for ads in this issue, let's see uh, if I can go through them kind of quickly. We have uh, inside front cover, we have a Daisy BB gun rifle gun uh, ad uh, and with a free booklet and apparently a baseball cap and a target. It's nice. Uh, moving right along, our next ad is uh, career guidance booklets from I ICS International Correspondence Schools in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And apparently certificates for this is also considered good enough for training at such places as Dodge, Ford, DuPont, USS, and Mobile. So, yeah. Uh, the next, page, next ad page is a house ad for some of the 100-page giants coming from DC Comics. 100 pages for only 60 cents, which they can kind of do because most of these are one big one story in front, which might be a little longer than usual, and all of the others are reprints. But there's a uh, Shazam number 16 uh, feature. The cover story features Captain Marvel against the seven deadly enemies of men. Uh, you know those statues that are in Shazam's Rock of Eternity area? Yeah, well, apparently they all come to life. And, of course, there's backup stories with Captain Marvel Jr., The Beast Man, and Mary Marvel. Uh, World's Finest had a 100-page giant with issue 227, uh, ironically, featuring Dead Man teaming up with Superman and Batman, and for some reason, Superman's beating up the Statue of Liberty. So while he's saving DC in this issue, he's trashing the Statue of Liberty in that issue. Plus, you get the demonic duo in another story, and plus the vigilante and, and some other DC heroes from comic pages to motion pictures. Plus another extra that I can't read, so I'll probably get to that in the uh, Elsewhere section. Uh, Tales of the Unexpected number 161, it looks like, is also a 100-page giant. Uh, as well as Batman number 260, uh, where Batman's going up against the Joker. Plus, some other uh, backups. Uh, Grade A Crimes, which has... I don't know who the villain is there. Uh, but the also the Riddler's pis Prison Puzzle Problem, which I've actually read. Uh, that's, uh, I believe, Riddler come uh, reintroduction during the Silver Age, after the uh, Batman show came on. Uh, Justice League number 115 was a 100-page issue uh, featuring Superman and the Justice League versus the Last Angry God. And a another just an older Justice League story, The War Against the Indestructible Creatures of Nightmare Island, plus a couple of, uh, looks like some Justice Society stories and the Evil Star. Yeah, uh, Action Comics number... Four six no four forty three or four sixty four forty three I think um, is another hundred page giant um, doesn't say anything about that well I guess technically I guess you're supposed to see that he's teaming up with a bunch of people uh, like Batman and Adam and Green Lantern but then there's some other stories in there as well and Young Romance number two hundred three had a hundred page giant which is startling. Uh, moving right along, we get a ho uh, the next ad page is a hodgepodge page ad featuring things like a potato gun and vampire blood. And then following that is one of those fantastic weight training ads uh, featuring uh, 
Dave Draper, Mr. America, Mr. Universe, and is a waiter pupil, which is the Joe Waiter Trainer of Champions ad is what this is. Anyway, um, next up we have a double page ad from MPC uh, where you can buy strange change toys. There is a toy of a Dracula in a coffin, and you close it and open it back up, and it's a skeleton of Dracula in the coffin. There's one with a mummy in a sarcophagus. Close it, open it again, and the mummy's trying to come out, and it's kind of unwrapped. Uh, and then, of course, there's one with a space capsule, with a, looks like a kid in a space capsule, not in a spacesuit or anything. And you close the door, open it back up, and the kid is being attacked by monsters. Looks like dinosaurs. So... Oh, I'm sorry. That's a time machine, not a space capsule. Excuse me. Uh, the next pay, the next ad is never finished high school. Now you can get a diploma without going back. The Wayne School, a leader in home study, Chicago, Illinois. And then the next page is now you can get the copies you've missed of your collector's edition tabloid-sized issues. Featuring famous first edition issues of Action Comics number one, Detective Comics twenty seven, Sensation Comics number one, Wiz Comics number one, apparently. Although I thought it wasn't until like number three that Captain anyway, Captain Marvel's first appearance. As well as Batman number one, and then giant collector's edition sto- uh, books featuring stories with Shazam, Batman, Superman, and Ghosts. So those would be cool. Uh, next ad page is to buy some Corgi race cars. Some Formula One international racing cars. All for less than $4. Well, I'm sorry. Each less than $4. Yep. Uh, the next page is for is an ad for the next issue of the Amazing World of DC Comics. Apparently it's the second issue. With Batman holding up the issue, saying, Readers, our first issue of The Amazing World of DC Comics was a huge success. Now you can order our second issue, which features articles on the DC Comic Mobile and the Superboy TV show, DC Comics News, and much more. With art by Kurt Schaffenberger, Wrightson, Ed Whelan, and an unpublished story from the golden age of comics. Swear to me! Use this handy order form to get a copy today. And the cover actually shows art by Kurt Schaffenberger. And it shows several DC heroes. And it looks like Carrie Bates and Elliot Magan at the typewriter typing up the stories. And just from what I can make out, I see Superman, Lois, Green Lantern, Flash, Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr. Looks like Talkie Tawny, uh, Green Arrow... And then a couple that I don't recognize from this small version. And apparently Carrie Bates pops up and goes, I'm Carrie Bates. Elliot Magan and I the yeah, Elliot Magan and I are in this issue. It'll be ready for mailing on September fifteenth. And the bottom half of the ad is Batman and Robin telling you about DC subscriptions. Next ad is C I E, Cleveland Institute of Electronics. Never heard of it? We build high performance heads. Heads. I don't know. Apparently this is uh, more education. Uh, The inside back cover is the Pharaoh's Secret Spirograph. It's a comic. Um, Spirographs, I know I had an automated one when I was a kid, you know, where you draw the 
use circles to make a whole bunch of cool designs that kind of thing and the back cover shows ID is from ideal uh, presenting the continuing adventures of evil Knievel uh, where you get to do evil Knievel stunts like a, a jet like a jet rocket actually sorry um, a race car that comes apart a motorcycle that's supposed to be able to go over a van and a stunt stadium carrying case. Ooh. And that's it for the ads. Next up, let's look at Elsewhere, Elsewhere in, in the, the DC, DC multiverse. multiverse. And apparently we're looking at these in alphabetical order. Like I said, Action Comics 443 was a 100-page giant featuring not only Superman and friends, but also the Sea Devils, Matt Savage Trail Boss, Adam Strange, Hawkman, and the Black Pirate. I want to see some of those are going to end up being like Golden Age reprints. Then there's Adventure Comics number 437, when it was known as Weird Adventure Comics, with a, a cover by Jim Aparo, and this is a Spectre story. And in the backup, there's an Aquaman story. A Quiet Day in Atlantis. So it's really cool uh, Jim Aparo cover. I like that a lot with the Spectre. Batman 260, like I said, is a reprint. Uh, or is a 100-page giant featuring one new story and several reprints. One of them is An Adventure of Alfred. But the others are all Batman stories. And like I said, the Riddler one is one of them. There's also a Catwoman story. Flash, number 231, is not a 100-page giant. Uh, but it has a Green Lantern backup story. And apparently... Uh, this is someone that says that they could... That he's the one crook that Flash can't catch. <laughs> and there's actually a convention of Flash villains. Wouldn't that be a good place for, like, a cop to show up and arrest people? I don't know. That's weird. Anyway, uh, let's see. Next up, Justice League of America 115, like I said. Is a 100-page giant. Uh, Justice League Against the Last Angry God is the main story. The Justice Society story is the evil, star, evil Star Over Hollywood, with another Justice League story with the indestructible creatures of Nightmare Island. So, so far, so good. Uh, then, Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, number 25 which apparently is still going on by Jack Kirby. So that's cool. OMAC, The One-Man Army, also by Jack Kirby. And it's OMAC, but he looks like he's in a weird-looking wheelchair. And not the Mobius chair. Anyway, he's up against 100,000 foes. Uh, plop number 9 came out this month. I'm only mentioning that because it looks really freaky weird. And I've never read him. Now, the Shazam 100-page giant. Uh, one, it's a big deal because, of course, he was on TV at the time. Um, but, wow, are there a lot of stories in here. And, I mean, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different stories in this issue. That's what you get with 100 pages of Shazam. And I didn't mean to click on this one. Okay, Superboy number 206, starring the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, features 
Superboy in danger and about and apparently trying to be saved by Pharaoh Lad and Invisible Kid, who at this point were dead. And um, there's also another a backup story. Welcome home, daughter. Now die. That's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. And we're almost done. This is a wow. This is a short, a small month of stuff. Swamp Thing number fourteen, which I can't really tell you what's going on other than Swamp Thing saving someone from a fire. Uh, World's Finest number 227, like I said, was a 100-page giant. Again, Superman is smashing the Statue of Liberty, and it looks a lot better in color, let me tell you. Uh, but Superman's smashing the Statue of Liberty, and Batman and Deadman are trying to stop him. And then, of course, there's the demonic duo, which is like an evil Batman and Superman. Anyway, there's also stories featuring Rip Hunter, Vigilante, and Martian Manhunter. Like I said, Martian Manhunter. Hello. Anyway, that's it for Elsewhere. So I guess that pretty much finishes me up for this part of the story, or for this part of the show. After this break, J. David Weeder will join us with a not-at-all-strange Superboy tale. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! Hello. I'm the Doctor. Charlie's Geek Cast, coming January 1st, 2013, to www.charliesgeekcast.com. The Hulk on Podcasts. Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on Peter David. Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk has problem making words. Hulk, write down. Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones, bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not fight Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. 
Pat Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome once again to Superboy in the Bronze Age, where I, J. David Weeder, select a Superboy tale from the era randomly and share it with you. This time around, I have pulled Superboy Volume 1, Issue 172, which is the March 1971 issue. Now, this would have been released on January 7th, 1971, and featured a cover by Neil Adams that features Superboy crouched over an unconscious gorilla as other gorillas rage around him, and one tells Superboy, that's right, he tells him, you've beaten my brother, Superboy. Now try me. That's right, it's a gorilla tale. I'm a sucker for a, for a monkey tale. I'll admit it. And like I did with the Hal Jordan issue, which seems to work well with me for me, uh, I'm going to stick with the sharing the notes as we go through the story, which is the World of the Super Ape, which was written by Frank Robbins with art by Bob Brown and Murphy Anderson. And it opens with the explosion of Krypton. Well, I didn't expect that. Uh, it's a scene we're familiar with, but with a new addition. Now two objects fly to Earth. One is Superboy's rocket, which lands in Smallville, and the other lands in Africa. The hidden bundle of joy is taken in by a group of gorillas. Of course, we apparently had no astronomers in observatories watching the skies in any part of the world, so both go unnoticed. Fifteen years later, Superboy is called to Africa to assist trackers in investigating the odd disappearance of an ivory poacher who vanished along with the elephant he had recently killed. As Superboy is investigating this, a pair of gorilla hunters run into trouble, getting caught in a net, so two sets of hunters are down so far. As Superboy's investigation continues, he decides to borrow a gorilla suit from a local taxidermist. Wait, what? Let me run that by you again. And I want you to think this over. He borrows a gorilla suit from a taxidermist. Which means it used to be alive, and... I mean, well, there's the logistics of taxidermy. You can't really wear those. Their skins over a sculpture. Uh, I can tell you this because I am from the Ozarks. Um, and while underscoring that, let me add that he flew all the way to Smallville to snatch the costume and then came back. Okay, it's the Bronze Age. Wacky stuff happens. I'm going to give it a pass and enjoy the story of Superboy in his gorilla suit thing. Plays injured so the native gorillas carried them into a lair. A lair with a cave face that looks like a gorilla with a red sun dot. And within there is a statue of an angry gorilla, clearly not built by regular apes. This is the point, actually, when Superboy clues in that something's up. When he sees the statue inside, not the cave face. Um, to kind of give you an idea, this is like the Temple of Doom, but furrier. You know, no time for love, Mr. Kent. Because the three missing hunters are trying to make an escape by shooting their way out, a bellowing voice calls after them in Kryptonian. And Superboy is discovered in the ensuing melee and brought before a gorilla named Yango. Or Yango? Either way, it's a gorilla in a yellow singlet and green cape. You're, 
probably putting together like me that he's a Kryptonian gorilla, right? I mean, you're there, right? And we spend three, count them, three pages of Yango or Yango and Superboy testing each other's strength and powers, and clearly Yango Yango was the other rocket from Krypton. And like Superboy, he has developed powers under the Yellow Sun. So, okay, we have a super gorilla. Do we call Beppo in as a consultant? No, Superboy doesn't. Not a good use of your resources, sir. And okay, get ready for this. Make sure you're sitting down. You ready? Okay. Superboy flies back across time and space to view Yango's origin, which mirrors his own, of course, because every Kryptonian has the same origin. His anthropologist master, Ain Kahl. Is that how we choose Kryptonian names now? You just take a random body part, add a hyphen? Ain Kahl. And call? Wow, wow, wow. But in an effort to save his work, uh, his anthropologist master sent Yanko off with a cybernetic brain, which was apparently the laughingstock of Kryptonian science. Superboy somehow doesn't lose his powers under the red sun of Krypton, which doesn't make sense, but let's be honest, Superman was visiting Krypton almost once a week in the Silver Age, so I can't spend too much in energy nitpicking that. So Superboy gets back to the present and delivers the Hunters to Yango, stating that he knows Yango won't kill them because he's had these powers and hasn't taken over the world. And then Superboy takes off, wrapping up a tale that really has me scratching my head. Because Yango really gets no relevance all in all. He shows up, we spend the bulk of the story with a passive test of powers, and then we're done and Superboy turns all green peace and decides to let Yango throw the Hunters into a cage to teach them a lesson. Not that they don't deserve it. But Superboy is on another continent, and really overstepping his boundaries here, and perhaps violating some human right thing somewhere. And did I mention Superboy wears a gorilla skin suit, and he leaves it there. He doesn't return that to the taxidermist. That's a lot of money lost for that taxidermist. I'm, I'm going to stop tearing into this story and hand you back to Charlie, because it's just awkward. Uh, and, and I hope next time I pull a story that doesn't involve uh, gorilla suits. Because that's really gross. But I'm going to hand you back to Charlie, who is actually right now wearing a gorilla skin suit himself. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you, David. The gorilla suit was supposed to be a secret. And that will wrap things up for another episode. Please feel free to write into the show at superbronze1970 at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes. Or even check out the show notes at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com where you get a nice spiffy little picture of the covers of the issues that we talked about today. And now, here's Charlie with the end tag. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman of the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. You 
can hear our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. 